I'm going to preach this morning on the subject of the Bible's first responder. The Bible's first responder. Heavenly Father, I pray that you'd bless the preaching of your word. Lord, the fellowship, the time together to be in Sunday school, to learn from your word, the blessings of uh, recognizing uh, the blessings around us of our first responders. All of that has been good and helpful for us. And I pray now that you bless the preaching of your word. May it have uh, its will and way in our lives. And Lord, may we be willing even now to make whatever change or adjustment that should be made as the Holy Spirit would speak to our hearts this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. I've always admired those that we call first responders, and I expect that most every child at some time in their childhood dreamed about being a first responder, uh, dreamed about driving a fire truck, dreamed about being uh, about turning on the blue lights rather than having them turned on you. Uh, but uh, as a child, I always admired them. And of course, uh, my wife and I both, uh, we have in our family those who have served and those that do serve as a first responder. And uh, many times, uh, whether it be a, a family gathering for Thanksgiving or Christmas or birthday, there's uh, often been someone that's either late to the meal because of uh, being a first responder or getting called out or having their meal uh, set aside until they got home and, uh, and, 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 and understanding the sacrifice that they make uh, to serve us. Serving is sacrifice, but I'll tell you it's also joy in life. It really is. In this familiar story of the Good Samaritan, Jesus is responding to a young lawyer who probably is a Levite himself. And he asked Jesus, he said, what do I need to do to gain eternal life? I'd like to know uh, that I have eternal life and that when this life is ended, I will be in heaven. Uh, one of the laws that Jesus spoke to him about was loving his neighbor and the importance of loving his neighbor. And of course, Jesus was not teaching that you go to heaven by keeping the law. He was showing him you're a lawbreaker and need a savior. And that is the consistent message throughout the word of God. But he responded to Jesus when Jesus said, uh, you should love your neighbor as yourself. And he asked the question, who is my neighbor? Is it the person that lives in the houses beside me or around me? Uh, who is it that is my neighbor? And Jesus responded to that question by giving the story that we read in Luke chapter 10 and verses 30 through 37. I've divided this story into three parts as I'll preach it this morning. It is first of all a story of ruin. It is second of all a story of rejection. But it is thirdly a story of redemption. Let's look at the story this morning. First of all, the story of ruin. We have a man that goes from Jerusalem to Jericho. 
And as he is making the journey from Jerusalem to Jericho, it is uh, important that we recognize the Bible tells us that he went down uh, because Jerusalem being uh, higher in elevation than Jericho. And on that dangerous road, he fell among thieves and those thieves stripped him and wounded him and left him laying there half dead. Now I want to point out that this is a picture of sin and all of us at one time were on the road to ruin. We were on the road to destruction. We were on the road where sin had left us half dead. The Bible tells us in Ephesians chapter 2 that we were all a part of that world that was condemned and cursed in sin. But I love those words in Ephesians chapter 2 where it says, But God... And God changed us, and thank God we're not on the road to ruin today, but we're on the road to heaven and eternal life. Now, this person had gone from Jerusalem to Jericho, and it is a picture of them turning their back on the city of God for a city that was uh, accursed. And the only way you could get from Jerusalem to Jericho uh, was to go down. He went from the city of God to the city of godlessness, and that way down was dangerous, just like the road of sin is always dangerous. The road of sin, hey friend, listen to me. I don't care what the advertisements say. You better look around you and see that not all advertisements on the road of sin is telling uh, uh, the truth. In fact, they're misleading. They are deceiving. Uh, The road of sin is a road of destruction. There were dangers on every hand and this was a common road uh, for thieves to work. It was a life, uh, it was a uh, journey without God, a life of dangers. I'm glad this morning that I'm not on the road to destruction. I'm I'm good news for those that are. uh, Jesus, a good Samaritan, would like to help you get off the road of destruction and on the road of eternal life. That road of destruction, it is one of danger, it is one of chances. It is one where there's a life a life of fear. And this part of the story reminds me of the life of a man by the name of John Newton. John Newton was born in the 1700s and he worked for and with his father in the wrong, sinful, and wicked business of slave trading. And they would bring slaves from one continent to, to another. It was a hard life for John Newton and his father and those that worked in that mean and calloused life of a business. His life was filled with many dangers, toils and snares as he would later write. And one night while John Newton was on a ship, a ship that was transporting slaves from one continent to another and taking them to a slave market. And that night he came into the worst storm he had, never, he had ever seen on the high seas. As a boy, his mother had told him about God, but it was just a faint memory as he was a toddler then and had lived his life working with his father. And his heart had become very hardened and become very calloused as he worked in that 
terrible business. But as he faced that storm, he looked death square in the eyes. He looked at danger and he realized that this could be his day of death. There he called out to God in prayer. John Newton would later write the words, Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. Through many dangers, toils, and snares, I have already come. Tis grace hath brought me safe thus far, and grace will lead me home. John Newton went from a life of ruin to a life of revival as he gave his final years to preach the wonderful gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. But as we look at the story here of the Bible's first responder, we find a story or a road to ruin. Second of all, I want to point out this is a story of rejection. This poor fallen man had nobody to help him. Uh, He had been uh, robbed, he had been beaten, he had been stripped of his clothes and he was laying there uh, half dead. He could not help himself. He might well have expected help uh, from the first two people that he saw coming his way but they did not in any way help him. To know of a need or to look at a need is no relief from that need. And that man, as he lay there half dead, he had nobody to help him. As you know in the story, there were three people that traveled the road after his mishap, after his being beaten and left laying there half dead. The first man was a priest and he represented organized religion. Can you imagine how the man half dead must have felt when he saw a man that was dressed in the clothes of a priest I imagine he felt a sigh of relief thinking, thank thank goodness here's somebody I know will help me. What an embarrassing part of the story that the priest offers no help at all. The priest knew about religion. They didn't know anything about helping people. So the priest, he knew about sacrifices. He knew about the feast days. He knew about the fast days. He knew about the laws. He knew about the Sabbath day. He knew all of the rituals of religion. He knew that they were rooted in truth and tradition. But religion couldn't help a man that had been robbed and beaten and left half dead. Then a Levite came. A Levite was sort of like a priest. He actually worked among the priests. And a Levite was consecrated to the service of God. And it's likely that the lawyer that asked Jesus the question, what can I do to inherit eternal life? He may have been a Levite himself. And certainly there was a connection made as Jesus tells about the Levite. 
Now, the Levite's duty of the day was to preserve the law of God as it's given in those five books, uh, uh, first five books of our Bible. And uh, his, his job was to preserve the law and not allow any form of the law to be diluted. And his job was to make sure that the law and its precepts and principles uh, could be given to the next generation in a pure form. That was the job, the work of the Levite. The Levite was concerned with the rules of religion. He was the kind of guy that made sure that they fulfilled the rituals as they should. But what good would it have done to tell this poor, hurting man laying beside the road? What you need to do is learn the Ten Commandments. That wouldn't have helped him at all. It would have helped him had he even given him the two commandments that Jesus and the Levite, uh, this man, this lawyer, talked to him about. The Bible says that the Levite actually crossed the road and he took a look at this man. He saw his condition. He saw his need. But he too left him in his misery like the priest and he passed by on the other side. Now the priest and the Levite, they demonstrate to us the failure of rules and religion to save a nation. Can I tell you, America doesn't need religion. America needs Christ. Amen. America doesn't need, that, and, I'm not, and I'm not belittling our behavior in church, and you and I are supposed to come to church, and we're supposed to worship God, and we're supposed to give of our tithes and offerings, and we're supposed to follow the Lord in believers' baptism after salvation. We're supposed to observe a communion and remember the body and blood of the Lord, but that's not going to help those that are out there hurting today. Sadly, many Christians in our world, they know all the rules and the laws and the rituals of religion. And many folks go to church and read the Bible and live a decent life and enjoy the benefits of salvation. We even sing about it and we shout about it. And we even relish in our places and our positions of the church. And life is good and our relationship with the Lord. But the truth is, that doesn't help the hurting world. I'm thankful for everything that's happened this morning. I love to hear the choir sing and the choir is supposed to sing and singing is a part of serving God and worshiping God in the Bible. Ah, but we have to understand something. The world needs more than a song. They need more than a ritual. They need more than the Ten Commandments and that's what Jesus was teaching this man here. They need more than somebody that can just look and assess uh, the damage. They need more than somebody that can report in the media uh, of the damage of this man to the world. Somebody's got to get their hands dirty. Somebody's got to leave their comfort and go to the place of difficulty and help those that are wounded. Our world is dying without Christ and it's not because we don't have churches and Christians but it's because we have churches and Christians who think we've done God a favor today by just being in church. Hey, our fellowship is good and right and it's what we're supposed to do but the work of the church takes place when we leave the building and we go out into the world. So we have a story of ruin. We have a story of rejection. This man no doubt is hurting. He physically cannot help himself and now he feels like 
there's no hope. I mean, the priest came by and he didn't help him. Levite came by and he didn't help him. And can I tell you, there's a multitude of people in the world, they feel the same way toward the church. They feel like nobody cares. They feel like nobody's going to go out of their way to maybe they'll send me a Bible and I'm not against that. Maybe they'll tell me to learn the Ten Commandments and I'm not against that. Oh, but dear friend, Jesus is pointing out the fact here in this Bible's first responder. We've got to have somebody to get down uh, to where the need is and meet the need of the hurting. And I'm glad the story is not just one of ruin and not one of rejection. I'm glad it's a story of redemption. Notice what the Bible says in Luke chapter 10 and verse number 33. But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion on him and went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring in oil and wine, and set him on his own beast and brought him to an inn and took care of him. It's interesting who Jesus used as the first responder, especially if you recall, he is answering a question from a Levite and uh, from a man that's asking, what can I do uh, to have eternal life? And the hero of the story is a Samaritan who is a despised individual in the eyes of the Jews and most everyone. Uh, these Samaritans are social outcast. Let me just go ahead and say right now, uh, the, the, those that are hurting, they don't care who you are or what you are if we can help to meet their needs. And he uses a Samaritan and no doubt it brings a, a conviction, maybe a stir of anger because of his uh, uh, hatred, uh, because of his prejudice toward this Samaritan. But he left his place of safety on his own journey to help this man who had been beaten and robbed and stripped and left for dead. Let me tell you a story. Several years ago now, and it's probably been 15 years ago, I was preaching in this uh, tri-state region of, of uh, Tennessee and Virginia and, and North Carolina, that area. I was in Bristol, uh, Tennessee, and uh, I'd preached on Monday night. I preached on Tuesday night, and I was driving home on Tuesday night, and I decided to stop. Uh, my brother uh, Chris was working the road as a state trooper then, and uh, I decided to drive that way and stop and spend a couple of hours with him, riding with him in the cruiser. And, uh, boy, I really enjoyed it. I still had my suit and tie on, and I just thought, man, I'll just be the sergeant of this outfit tonight. And uh, we just riding up and down the road, you know, and I and, uh, said, what's that button for right there? He said, don't touch that. It's a siren. Don't, don't turn that on. Boy, I wanted to. I wanted to turn that siren on. I said, what's that button right there? He said, that turns the lights on. I said, let's turn them on. He said, no. He said, we, we can't turn them on. I said, what does that button do? He said, you push that button, and it will tell you the speed of folks that are coming this way. I said, let's get us one. <laughs> I said, there comes one. He looks to me like he's going fast, and he pushed the button at 55 mile an hour speed limit, and the fellow's going 57. <laughs> it feels good when you're in the car and not the car behind you. 
But I'll never forget, he got a call on his radio, and I couldn't understand what they were saying. They were talking in numbers. I remember them saying 566. They said, Hazard, this is 566. They said, 566, this is Hazard. My brother's unit number was 566, and I thought it was pretty cool and neat. I didn't understand what they were talking about. Uh, but they called, and they reported that there had been a shooting, and he needed to go to that shooting. And, uh, boy, he turned on the lights, and he started driving faster than fun to me. And uh, I remember, I said, I, I, I said what, what's going on? He said, there's been a shooting and possibly a murder. I said, oh, my goodness. I thought, take me to my car. Uh, and, and, and all of a sudden, I'm sitting there, and he goes, from the, he goes from the blacktop to a side road, and he doesn't seem to slow down much on the side road, and he gets to the place, and uh, there are people outside, and, and other police cars are coming, and he, he comes up to the place where the shooting had taken place, and he told me, he said, you just stay here. He didn't have to tell me that. Uh, I, I, I was going to stay right in my place. And sitting in the car, I saw a man laying on his back, and he had been murdered. And I saw the man that uh, they arrested and they brought out, and he was intoxicated. They brought him out, and they put him in a cruiser that was sitting beside the cruiser where I was sitting. There's a vast difference in riding around in a police cruiser and being at the scene of a murder. Boy, you talk about a sobering, fearful feeling. A fear like, a fear that we as Christians know what we're supposed to do. And it feels good to sing in church. And it feels good to put tithe and offering in the offering plate. But when you go from church to where there's a broken heart, there's a broken life, there's somebody that's hurting because of sin, there's a whole different story than just enjoying our Christianity while we're here. And I want to say this morning we ought to sing and we ought to shout and we ought to praise God. And the Bible teaches that, but it doesn't end when we go out that door, we're supposed to be God's first responders to those that are hurting, to those. And, and, and you know what? First responders, especially the policemen, they're oftentimes, they're, they're patrolling. They're going up and down the roads. They're going up and down the streets. And here in the story, we find the Bible's first responder, the good Samaritan, stopped from his journey in life. And he finds this man that is hurting. And the Bible tells us that he poured in oil and wine. It seemed that he was prepared to help somebody. Are you and I prepared to help somebody tomorrow? Are you and I prepared to help someone that is hurting because of sin that has wrecked their life or that has broken a marriage or that has a, a, a teenager that is hurt because of great difficulty? This man poured in the oil and wine, the oil to soothe and the wine to cleanse. Then he took the poor man and he put him on his own beast and he took him to an inn to be cared for and he said, 
said, here's two pence and I want to take care of this man and I'm going to return again to make sure if there's any other needs and it'll be cared for. These first responders here actually represent that we as Christians are supposed to have our eyes open to spiritual needs in our world. You can't always see spiritual needs like you can a physical need. That's why Christians ought to be kind people. That's why Christians ought to speak up as far as kindness is concerned. That's why we ought to ask for the Holy Spirit to give us discernment. This week I was called to a house where a lady was sick and she didn't want to go to the hospital she didn't want to go to the doctor and I don't blame her nobody wants to go to the doctor and I talked to her for a few minutes and I could tell she was really sick and she had a high fever and I called the ambulance and two ladies came in a in a uh, uh, EMT truck and and they were so kind and so helpful and so nice and I I watched as they came in and they and they cared for things and they were in a, in a hurry to get to her and help her and they didn't ask her any questions what caused this what put you in this they 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 weren't like that at all they were just there to help and in just a few minutes put them on the gurney and in the and in the truck and took them to the hospital and met their needs and I I stood there and I thought that's the work of the preacher that's the work of the Christian that's the work of the child of God to find those that are hurting and hurt as a result of sin perhaps it was their bad behavior that put them in that situation the good Samaritan could have said to this man what are you doing on this road you got no business being on this road you deserve to be hurt he didn't say anything like that he just met his needs that's the work of the church. That's the responsibility of the Christian. In Luke chapter 10, we find the Bible's first responder. As a boy, I always wanted or thought about being a first responder. I get to be a first responder. You get to be a church responder. That's why giving a gospel tract to someone you don't know if they're hurting or not. Oftentimes behind a smile is a hurting heart. Oftentimes behind a smile is a troubled spirit. Somebody that's dealing with something that's bigger than they are and something they're not able to care for and they need somebody to give them a gospel tract. Let them know you're a child of God. By the way, I can't help them, but my Savior can help them. The Bible's first responder. Can you imagine an accident beside the highway and a police officer just driving along saying, I don't, I don't, I don't feel like it. I just, uh, I just enjoy being a part of the uh, uh, FOP, the, uh, the, the, the uh, fraternity of police. I'm just glad to be a part of that. I'm not interested in helping people. You know what we would say? They ought to fire that police officer. What would we think about a fire truck that just drove down the road past a burning house or a burning building and they said, well, we really don't put out fires. We just enjoy driving this truck and wearing this uniform and being a part of this. Uh, you say, well, I'd fire that. What about the Christian that has a brother or a sister 
a mother or a father, a son or a daughter, or a friend or a stranger. We never speak up for the cause of Christ. May I say, well, today we bring honor and recognition to those who serve us. God's called us to be first responders. Let's ask God to help us this week to be what he wants us to be. Stand with me if you will. If you're here today and you've never received Christ as your Savior, you ought to trust Christ as your Savior today. If you're here today and you're a Christian and you enjoy being a Christian and you should, you ought to ask God, Lord, help me to be a first responder. Help me to ask the question, do you know Christ as your Savior? You don't have to know all the answers in the Bible to know the answer how to go to heaven. I can be a first responder in prayer by praying for those that have needs, helping to meet needs. If you're here today and there's a decision you ought to make for Christ. Just a minute when he sings invitation song, you ought to make that decision, decision somewhere between your seat and this altar. You ought to say, Lord, help me to be the Christian that I ought to be. Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. Heavenly Father, I pray that you'd help us today. This story given by the Lord Jesus to this lawyer who wanted to know who his neighbor was. And he learned the answer was anybody in need Anyone in need is my neighbor. Thank you for the example that's set before us. May we respond to it the way that we should. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.